Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 341 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. And I'm excited to be with you today to share an update on my Houston Marathon training journey. I've got James Dodds joining me to be the interviewer, and I get to take the interviewee seat as he's going to ask me questions about how things are going building to Houston to give you an update. I've had a lot of people ask. Appreciate all of those questions. So here's the answer with a full episode on an update with me about the long-term trajectory of my journey, how things have been going specifically, and how I'm feeling about race day coming up here in just about five weeks on January 14th. As we talk through it, I think there's some lessons that hopefully I've learned that you can apply in your own training journeys. Before we get there with James, I wanted to quickly thank my sponsors for this episode John G. Running Apparel, as well as Care Of at TakeCareOf.com. They have both now been longer term partners of mine. I'm excited to share offer codes for each of those mid-episodes, so stay tuned for that. With that, let's jump in with James. Here we go. All right, bringing James on to give the people an update. I want to talk about my build towards Houston I give it a little checkpoint on where I'm at, how I'm feeling about it. I get getting a lot of questions about you know how I'm feeling about my build towards Houston and what I'm gonna go for and all that stuff, which I, I love the questions. I appreciate appreciate the interest. And so I thought, hey, let's just put out an episode. Cause I do think there's some things that I feel like I've been learning along the way and you know, maybe some insights that'll help others on their journey. So Plus, also, I, I want to get some of this stuff out before I race because those, those lessons will exist no matter what the outcome is on race day. So first, James, how are you? Doing well. Excited to chat through this um, because I'm personally curious and then I'm going to challenge myself to think what would other people be potentially curious about um, that, you know, who come to the table differently than I do. So this is yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, we'll jump into it, have a conversation. We'll see where it goes. But you're in charge, so where do you, where would you like to start? I want to start wide lens, um, not only because it's a natural conversation flow, but also it's it's a big part of your philosophy and what you ask our virtual athletes to do that we coach together and something you preach. But it's like, I know you don't look at all your questions from athletes and friends that are very caring and thoughtful are coming like, you know, six weeks out, four weeks out. What are you going to, you know, how are you doing? But You've been looking at this for a long time, so I'd be curious just your whole annual perspective on like how have you how have you approached all of 2023 knowing that you've got a big goal for yourself in January of 2024. Yeah, it's good to zoom out and we'll update anybody who hasn't been following along on the journey. But really, I would say that the journey to this race in January, and as we record this, we're just over five weeks out from race day. So I've got you know, really only two more weeks of really big work. And then I'm going to do a two week taper. So I'll have another week kind of in the middle there of, of smaller work and then two week taper. So it's like three weeks of work left and then two week taper for me, essentially. So we're, we're coming to it here, but this has been a two year journey to this point. You know, last time I raced a marathon was October, 2021 in Boston. That was the fall Boston a weird post-COVID year. I've done other races since then, but really I set out at that point 
knowing that I still wanted to take some big swings in the marathon, but that it would take big changes in how I was operating and changing and training in order to get there. And I didn't ultimately know it'd be two years at that point to my next marathon. I knew I wanted to spend at least a year doing some different things. And then I would kind of decide where I'm at and where I felt like I needed to go from a, from a marathon standpoint, which it all ended up taking longer than I thought. So it, it's been a longer journey to this next marathon than I, than I expected when I started the journey, but I kind of knew the things I wanted to work on and where I needed to have momentum before I stepped back into the marathon. And that started again a couple of years ago with one, a recognition that I needed to get back to some pure speed routes. So I spent the first half of 2022 working on speed really focused on the, the, the faster end of things, 5K, 10K distances, had some decent races in that window. And then over the summer 2022, I started adding strength in twice a week, working with a trainer in a very methodical and patient way to incorporate weighted strength training into my routine, unlike any way I'd ever done. So started doing that at the summer 22, continue working on speed as I had, you know, in combination with layering in strength in the fall of 22, knowing that, you know, I needed to kind of merge those two elements together. And then as I got into 2023, I knew I needed to get back to some more volume, back to some longer work, but I needed the first part of this year to reestablish base essentially and routine around the volume before I turned to marathon training really in August, September timeframe for Houston. So I haven't been in, in a, in a marathon specific block until then. And I must say that it's really interesting when I think back <laughs> and, it, and it'll be interesting when the outcomes come because, you know, I feel like in many ways I took, I'm taking big risks in a very crisp sort of way, which is methodical, right? And with long lead times, you know, there's no, there's no um, making it up as I go or, you know, too much. There's not a lot of spontaneity or randomness in my approach, but, you know, but I realized a couple of years ago that I needed to kind of deconstruct myself in many ways, in order to reconstruct myself back together to take big swings at the marathon. I think I could have gotten marginal gains in the marathon with a different approach. If I just kept doing what I've been doing and gone back into another marathon cycle, maybe taken off, you know, 20, 30 seconds, a minute. But if I wanted to take a big chunk off and really have a shot at getting under 240, I felt like I needed to deconstruct myself, reconstruct myself and give myself that opportunity to take big swings again. Doing all of that, you know, means risk, means being, you know, taking risks in a way that I didn't know whether or not I would pay off. I still don't know. And so while intellectually and with the counsel of my coach, Kathy, and my strength coach, Jonas, 
I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I've been on this journey of not really knowing, but also simultaneously knowing that if I didn't do it, if I didn't take a swing at doing things differently before I went back to the marathon again, then I, I didn't feel like that was worth it. You know, I'm comfortable with the risk. I may never run a faster marathon than I have in the past. My PR is two minutes or sorry, two hours, 45 minutes, 36 seconds. I may never beat that. My goal is to run 240. I may never get there, but I know that I'm trying and I'm trying in the best way I know how, which is to take a new approach, mix things up and give myself that opportunity. So that's hopefully sets full context. I have, I have two, if not three, potential response slash questions. Uh, I'll go with the simple one first because I think it's a practical application for people. But as you hired a trainer and um, focused on the strength, how did that interrupt your kind of weekly pattern? Sometimes we can get into autopilots, right, in a good way where it's like I, I get up, I go meet my team, I do my run, et cetera. Um, so was there an interruption to your patterns in that? And if so, what did it look like? And I know you'll know the prescribed coaching answer. So I'm asking, I think your listeners would be really interested in like, but what was it like for Chris personally, as he was like, man, I'm doing this lifting and strength focus. And how did you manage it? Yeah, it's a good question. And I will say that it's been very disruptive in a good way, (laughs) but very disruptive. You know, I've always said on this podcast that if you're going to add strength into the equation, you need to do it sort of on its own, not while adding everything else. You also need to give it plenty of time to work into your routine and to give your you know, your body time to adapt and all of that. And so I knew all of that intellectually. And as I stepped into it, I also knew that I would be as patient as I needed to be in order to allow my body to adapt to it. So, you know, when I started it, June 2022 now, you know, about 18 months ago, I you know, was going to do it religiously, but it took a while to adjust to the routine of it. it. Took a while to adjust to the form elements. My body was not constructed or working and mobile the way it needed to be to do the movements that I needed to do. And so we had to be very patient, working on mobility, doing very lightweight work in order to essentially get my body to move the way it needed to move, to lift the way I could. So in order to lift the way I needed to lift so that I could do it safely and do it in a way where I could start to compound and add the weight and see the benefits. So it took a long time and we've been so patient, so patient. And I appreciate Jonas so much because he's, he's probably more conservative than I would have been in terms of saying, hey, Chris, no, you're not ready for that. You need to slow it down. We're still not moving appropriately through this motion. And so we did that for a long time. Very slow patient movement pattern changes. Very slowly patiently adding weight. I mean, I was doing things in the gym that most people would probably laugh at in terms of how little weight I was moving early on. And so that was a component, just getting used to my body moving differently, which by the way, had a downstream impact, I think, on my running form, initially in a negative way, I would say, because, you know, what you're doing is you're opening up new ranges of motion and you don't necessarily have strength and efficiency in those new ranges of motion yet. And so when you start to apply that back in a different context outside of strength, 
it's awkward, it's weird, it's different, it's less efficient than it used to be. My stride pattern, for example, for a while. And so I found that the running impact initially was weird and clunky. Like I didn't feel like it was translating. And I knew why intellectually, but that's so hard to to feel. The other thing I felt was the recovery needs went up, especially as I started adding weight and ramping that part up because, you know, the intensity had always been there from a running perspective, but adding the strength component and then recovering from all of it meant, you know, I needed to, to pay attention more to what my body needed from that perspective, which at some times in the last year has been harder because I have a busy life with kids and, you know, we're rushing them around and my sleep isn't ideal and all those things. Right. And so there were times when I wasn't able to prioritize recovery and I felt like I was stagnant because of it. Because while maybe in the past I could, I was doing enough sleep, I was getting enough sleep to recover from just the running. I was no longer getting enough sleep to recover from the running and the lifting and see gains from both. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was okay. And there were times where I just, there wasn't much I could do about that, but I knew as I was planning for this fall that I had to create space for that so that I could actually see all the gains come together. And, you know, there's some structural things with my kids' school drop-off schedules that was going to, that was going to be different and coming into place. And so, you know, I knew that I could get there. I've also had to tell my wife that, Hey, we've got to like, we've got to protect this marathon cycle a little bit differently than I have in, in other cycles. And so, you know, those trade-offs have helped me, I think, get to where I needed to be, you know, for these five months from that perspective. So that's been an impact of just needing more recovery. Another interesting, I think, impact is that it took me about a year of doing the strength work consistently to feel like it had an impact on my running. I mean, I knew intellectually that it, had, that it, was ha- it, would, it would have an impact or was having an impact, but it took about a year before I was in workouts thinking, man, that gear or that strength up a hill or that resilience in a workout, that came from the workouts I've been doing in the gym, you know, not the aerobic fitness stuff. It took about a year to see that happen. And then and then it started coming in ways that was pretty cool. Like, oh, okay, that's something different and new. And largely that manifested early on this year in me being able to hit paces and workouts that I didn't have the aerobic fitness for, frankly, but that I had the leg strength for. And so that's been one thing. And then now as I've gotten into marathon training, I feel like there's been this collision of the work that I did with strength and speed with my prior strengths of being the guy who can grind, who can get into marathon pace and run it forever and make it feel as easy as possible. Like that's my strength as an athlete, as a runner, which I'd kind of intentionally hadn't been fostering for a while. And now I'm marrying that with these other elements that I've been building and it's taken time for them to mesh and like sing a happy song. But I'm finally seeing it over the last three or four weeks of, okay, there it is. There it is. It's all now starting to gel together in ways that I can feel and, and, and 
that's been pretty cool to see. But it's like I had to, again, deconstruct to reconstruct. And so now I'm just getting the full picture together in ways that it's been hard to see. I've been operating on faith for a long time. So that's been the other impact of just, you know, being marrying the aerobic strength with the impacts from strength gains has taken a little time. I think that's huge uh, because one, it gives people insight to you, but two, it also is a good reminder for them too, is like, you know, you encourage them to do strength and then six weeks in, you probably want results, but your, your timeline looking at it through a, a whole year, I think is huge because not only like listening to that, not only are you probably not going to see results in six weeks, but it actually might feel worse in six weeks before it gets better. Um, and then you kept using the um, deconstruct to reconstruct. And I love this theme. And that's even part of it, that it was disruptive originally. And you said you're in a good spot now, which is awesome. But I want to know, I know others are going to want to know, what's the internal dialogue like for Chris McClung um, getting to that? Before you got to the point of, I see it clicking now, what, you know, I know you brought up that deconstruction, reconstruction, not to turn this back into an identity podcast, but when we had that identity podcast, that wakes up, right? You get out of routines, rhythms, norms. I'm highly emotional, so it, it can make me sway. You seem less emotional, but nonetheless, you're still <laughs> human too. So what was swaying in your brain or how was your internal dialogue evolving and what were you saying to yourself? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been easy, that's for sure, right? There's definitely been times where I'm like, what am I even doing, right? Is this going to work at all? No idea. You know, at times it has affected my motivation because, you know, it's easy to do the things you're good at and be motivated and have that build momentum. It's hard to do the things you're not good at. It's also hard to, you know, be focused on the things you're not good at, which is then making you worse at the thing you're good at. <laughs> like I haven't felt good at just grinding at marathon pace in probably two years. Like that has not felt good. And that was intentional. Like I was getting away from that for a reason so that I could build other skills. And now as it starts to come back together, you're like, oh, okay, thank goodness. But there was a long time where you're like, I don't, like this doesn't feel good at all. Like I don't, I don't like, I don't like the, you know, I don't, I don't like doing things I'm not good at. And I don't like it feeling, seemingly taking away the thing that I was good at, which affects motivation, which makes you wonder, am I, you know, am I, is this even worth it? You know, where is it going? You know, am I crazy to be making these types of shifts as a coach? You're like creeps in on that identity a little bit. Like who am I, you know, um, to be advising others when I'm seemingly figuring out my own stuff. And I have to say with that comment that like I'm at a situation that I think is unique and it's one that I don't often see as a coach, which is that I am an athlete that's been training consistently more or less for now 23 years. I've reached the edges of my genetic potential, my aerobic potential. I mean, my system is as robust as it can be from that perspective. And so if I'm going to if I'm going to take now the next step or another step if it's even possible at my age of 44, then I have to be bold, I have to take risks, I have to do things a little bit differently. And so you know, this is a stage in my running journey that I think is fairly uncommon for most people. And therefore, 
there aren't necessarily a lot of use cases to go to and be like, oh, well, that person did it this way. So this is what you should do, Chris. And I think also because of where I'm at, it's like my strengths are going to be different. Even if I was in a similar place as somebody else, my strengths would be different than theirs. How they got to this place would be different. So, you know, their deconstruct or reconstruct might look completely different than mine. And so I think it's like, it's, I'm an end of one essentially. And I think there are concepts you can take from what I'm doing and apply it to others. And I think this idea of deconstruct or reconstruct is something that more people should think about at various times, not necessarily in the exact sense that I have, but in a sense of what are my weaknesses? You know, how can I spend a prolonged period of time working on those weaknesses so that I can then marry that back with my strengths so that I can then take another step, right? If, if somebody happens to be plateaued or if somebody happens to not be seeing the success that they want to see. So that's where I think the applications become more broad and then certainly, you know, how I'm feeling along the way. But, but getting back to sort of this feeling of uncertainty and lack of motivation and not knowing what's going to happen or if it's going to work. And I still don't know, by the way, one of the things I keep coming back to is just becoming really good at staying present at focusing on the next step, the next task. And I coach this all the time. Intellectually, I know it, but it can be hard to live that. And one of the things I've been most proud of, I would say, in this journey is doing just that. It's like certainly I have the doubts creep in that are like, oh, Chris, you're, you're, you know, this is a silly pursuit. You're never going to get there. Certainly that comes. But then I set it aside and I say, okay, what's the next logical step? What's the next thing I need to do? What's the next workout? What's the next long run? What's the next piece I need to incorporate or build on? And I've been doing that and operating on faith that the plan was right. These pieces will come together. And now I'm finally starting to see it happen in palpable ways, literally only within the last like three weeks. Part of that's weather shifting, I think, helping. But part of it is just, okay, I'm starting to actually see all this come together. So so yeah, just being really present. Before we continue the conversation, I wanted to quickly talk about my sponsorship with Care Of. I've been working with them for over two years now in parallel to this Houston journey that I've been on, and they've been a big part of performance from my perspective. They are a vitamin supplement company. You can also get powders with them that you order via subscription service so that you don't have to think about it. It just shows up every month that you get exactly what you need to get after your goals. So all you got to do is you go to their website, you take a short, simple online quiz about those goals, and they'll give you doctor back recommendations on what to include in your daily packs so that you can get after those goals. Really cool. You can also add other elements to it if you don't see something on there that you've been thinking about taking as well. So you can customize it as you want after they give you those recommendations. And then once you start taking their stuff, you can use the app to stay on track as well as to provide updates on how you're feeling so that you can make adjustments over time. Really powerful to make those adjustments over time. That's been a part of my journey. I started out simply by using vitamin D with them. Now I've added a lot of other elements to my daily packs from a full multivitamin to ashwagandha for recovery. And also I use their plant-based protein powder as well. 
So all of those pieces are helping me be my best self as I'm on my way towards this Houston goal. I would encourage you to check out Care Of so that you can be your best self, especially as we enter the new year. So for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code ROGUE50. That's again, 50% off your first order. Use the code ROGUE50, R-O-G-U-E-5-0 at takecareof.com. Go check it out. So that last piece, really, I have to go to it, but I'm going to still incorporate the question that was swelling before you got to it. But you mentioned in the last three weeks, it's clicking and you're seeing it. So I want to um, drill down on the elements of what's causing maybe that. I think it's a form of belief. Like you're, you're starting to see that. So I want you to like break out what is it that you're seeing that makes you start to feel that way. But also give us, while this has been a two-year thing and we've got the 2023 perspective, when was like day one of like you knew, okay, even though I've, I've been doing all of this for this race, when was it, all right, this is week one and I'm now pointing my nose towards uh, for this season, for this season, yeah. And so what's happened in between then and what is that date and then what's happened between then and now for these last three weeks that you're like, oh, it's clicking and I'm seeing it. Well, really, the the day in my head for sort of day one, week one of Houston was September 1st. You know, I'd been sort of building base and and also, you know, doing workouts, but not with specificity until September 1st. And then it was like, okay, it's time. Like, this is the time to get focused, to have the long run plan through to Houston, to point workouts, you know, with the marathon focus. And interestingly, I mean, I did the Zilker Relays basically 10 days later and which is a two and two and a half mile or by two and a half mile relay so I ran two and a half miles averaging about six to ten pace <laughs> now it was 100 degrees and crazy hot and you know a mess but you know here I am running six ten pace for two and a half miles thinking eventually I dream of running 26.2 miles at 606 pace right which is what it would take to get to 240 so so that was a bit of a mind <laughs> mind bending result and i actually felt good about that result but it is funny in context of my bigger goal and i think it also points to the fact that you know the data points people use to point towards progress are sometimes not right and if I'd use that as some indicator that I could run, you know, even 620 in the marathon, then that would be a pretty bad one. <laughs> so anyway, that's an aside. But that was that was um, week one, you know, and of course we had a historically hot summer here. And so I was getting into workouts and I remember, I remember doing a workout sometime shortly thereafter with one of our teammates from Team Rogue who was doing Indianapolis. And so he was further along. His race was in end of October and, but I was kind of helping out and, um, we had a, you know, we had some one K repeats going into marathon pace for them for longer. And I remember him saying, you know, as we were doing quote 10 K pace, him saying, this is supposed to be your marathon pace because we were running in the low sixes for a workout when it was, you know, 75 degrees and humid and miserable in late September. And so there's been a lot of me just listening to my body, knowing, okay, what's the right effort today for this workout, for the intention of this workout? What's the right effort? 
and I've been very, very reliant on effort and feeling it and making sure I'm in the right zone, really trying to leverage my maturity there as an athlete versus being reliant on, I got to be hitting these paces because I know the right efforts intuitively. And instead of being a slave to, I should be hitting these paces with hot weather and with, you know, not being as sharp as I you know, could be yet. I was going by effort and just letting it flow. And so I was doing that for a long time. And, you know, again, it wasn't until about three weeks ago and the weather shifted and things started to sharpen up that I started to see some things come together. You know, and even I did a turkey trot 10K Thanksgiving Day, averaged just over six minute miles for 10K. And, you know, sandwiched between two big long runs. So, you know, there are caveats there, quote, I'm training through it. But a lot of people would look at that and be like, man, how are you going to run low sixes for a marathon if you can only run 604 pace for a 10K, right? But you keep working, keep doing (laughs) <laughs> you keep you keep putting in the work and and ultimately those results don't really matter in a sense what i do think that race did in particular for me was solidify the marriage of my ability to grind and relax at pace with this new strength and speed that i've been cultivating and while the result on paper doesn't look that great i think you know, especially relative to my 10 KPR. I do think that was a turning point in a sense because I realized, especially as I got to the later parts of that race, you know, the first five miles sucked, but the last mile was a little faster and it felt better. It's like, oh, I'd, I'd like, it clicked. It sort of clicked for me. Like, all right, things are starting to slide into place. And since then I've had a couple of really good workouts. Long runs are starting to feel good. And Again, I still don't know what's possible yet on January 14th, which is the date for Houston. Happy to talk about how I think about that, but I just know that over these next two to three weeks, there are pieces that will still be there to come together. And I'm excited to see where that leaves me because my goal for this race is not to run a specific time, but rather to execute my potential for the day based on what this cycle has built for me and then use that as my next big data point to decide, okay, what's next? Because I believe now more than ever that the goal is possible. It may not happen on January 14th, but I know that everything I've done has been right. Yeah. And you started touching on kind of like how you felt in that last mile, um, which are kind of like the, some of the mechanisms of what you're feeling and seeing that help you globally say like this is coming together um but you also brought up that um comment of of someone being like hey this this is supposed to be like what you run for a marathon would you say you just have really good internal boundaries and therefore you just don't get caught in that spiral or um i'm just still digging into your in your mental framework of like i think people do get stuck like it's some sometimes it's what other people think and they then they go, oh, let me put up a barrier and not think that. But then other people, it's like as soon as they heard someone else think it, it just enters their psyche and they spiral in it. And uh, so, 
how do you separate from that uh quote logical playback <laughs> you know is it just you said your maturity so I'm, is it just the maturity of a seasoned athlete and coach it's a couple of things one part of it is just the logic of all right it's 75 degrees and really humid and disgusting like throw pace out the window if you were really to to adjust this for temperature like we're smashing it right so there's a little bit of just playing that logic back but more than anything i guess what i've realized in this journey throughout it is that i can't i can't be greedy at any step i can't skip steps either you know with the strength I got to get good form and good movement patterns before I can add weight. And when I get, when I start adding weight, I have to do certain weight and make it look good and comfortable before I can really add weight and press on weight. So that's sort of the strength side. And then from a aerobic development and, and, and running side, it's, I can't, I haven't earned the right to run whatever paces I think I should be able to run or whatever my goal paces are. If the efforts aren't right, you know, I have to be running the right efforts first and then let the paces flow from those appropriate efforts. Knowing that, again, it may or may not come together, but it it definitely won't come together if I try to skip steps. You know, like that's something I know to my core. Like if I skip steps or try to press beyond where I'm at, at any point in this journey, whether in strength or in running, then I know it wouldn't work. Like that's a recipe for getting injured, for ending up with the wrong outcome. But if I'm patient and I stay present and I take what my body's giving me at each step, then I have a chance. Then I'm giving myself a chance for it to come together. And it still may not, but that's the only way I have a chance. So that's sort of what I keep going back to. And certainly there are doubts in my head that want me that have me thinking well skip steps you know let's what could we take shortcut here right and maybe get somewhere faster but that's not the way it works and so i know that intuitively so i'm like nope can't skip, skip steps stay where you are stay present do the next thing that your body's telling you and we'll see where it goes and and part of that's where i can rely on my history and experience which is that I'm a good intuitive runner. I know what the effort should be. I don't need to look at my watch to know what the effort should be. And that I've developed over 20 plus years. And so that is a strength I'm drawing on so that, you know, the paces are just outcomes, you know. And it's been really interesting over the last several weeks. I've actually chosen to do workouts alone, even in the context of the group because I've wanted to focus on finding my own rhythm, you know, and like just not have any noise. Like I need to be in my space and, you know, love my team and they've been helpful and I've had people jump in and help me here and there and they're amazing. But there have been a few spots where I'm like, nope, this day it's just me. And that has served me really well, I think, because it's allowed me to like really find my rhythm you know, really zone out, zone out and zone in. And, and so I've had a couple of solo workouts where I've just been like, all right, that's it. Things are coming together. Yeah. 
that's awesome. And that alone is like a meaty concept right there. Just, um, you know, I think listeners will identify with and then a lot still need to internalize and work on. So like a good story or show even, um, you gave us some foreshadowing. You said happy to talk about a little bit of those things that you're looking for that you're still wanting to like see come together before the race. So how are you? Take us there. Like, how are you? I mean, what are you looking for, you know, in these next few weeks um, in your training? Yeah, I think it's, you know, we're going to be doing marathon pace work. You know, I've talked with Kathy and we're going to be doing, you know, in and out work where we're going faster, mixing that with marathon pace. We did a workout on Tuesday that was 10K at 10K pace, alternating with 2K or just over 2K at marathon pace. And, you know, being able to go from the hard efforts to the easy effort or to the easier marathon effort and really dial in. And that was a really good workout for me. And so I think for me, the the thing that I want to see together, it's really two things come together. It's really two things. One is being able to sustain some of the top end speeds a little bit because interestingly, I kind of felt like, you know, I'd gotten some of that when I was focused on speed and strength, but the staying power I'd lost a bit because I was, you know, again, reconstructing things. And so now I feel like I'm kind of now able to sustain some of those paces, which has eluded me a little bit. And so the top end has been at times elusive, I should say. It's there in short intervals, but I hadn't had the staying power. That I want to see kind of crystallized. Definitely was there on on Tuesday's workout, which felt good. And then relatedly crystallizing my effort level around what I would perceive to be marathon effort and what pace that might be associated with. You know, on Tuesday I was working, it was three rounds and of 10 K alternating with marathon. And I worked down on the marathon parts from 625 to 618 to like 610 on the last round. And that felt really good and smooth and comfortable by the end. And so I wasn't at 606 you know, on that last rep, again, I don't think I'll be able to take a swing at 240 or necessarily even close in Houston, but man, it felt good to be running six tens off of 545s, 10K pace, and just feeling like it was so easy. I mean, it was like, it was almost shocking how easy it and comfortable it was considering that, you know, I ran 610 for two and a half miles in September in a race. So, you know, it's just, again, starting to come together. And I want to see all that crystallize over these next few weeks. And I think, you know, it will in a way that will really point to what is possible on race day. And I don't know the answer to that yet. I'm open to anything. I just want to run my potential, run what I think is possible be aggressive, but not in a way that's dumb or, you know, that doesn't fit with what my fitness is and then see where we're at. And if that means getting a PR, great. I don't know if it will. That means breaking 250 and feeling good about it and having a negative split. I'd be okay with that too. I just know that this is not the end of the journey. There will be more to get afterwards. And I know that all the components I'm piecing together now 
will actually give me a shot at it at some point. How long do you give yourself um, before you start? Do you do it in the taper when you start deciding, all right, I got to commit to a race plan now and sharpen this up and, you know, or are you even going to do that? Are you going to start this race by effort? I mean, race day will be a combination, you know, I'll have a pace in mind, but I'll also know what I need to be feeling. Right. And so, you know, it'll always be a combination of the two, but the, the, I think the big decision point for me will be, we'll have one, you know, one big final 20 plus miler with pace work. I don't know. Kathy hasn't told me what that'll look like yet, but it'll be three weeks out from race day, Christmas weekend. And that'll be the linchpin, I think, for informing everything else. What I can do and how I feel and how the paces are on that day will will be the final test, so to speak, of where I'm at. And I'll use that to calibrate with all the other data points. It's not going to be a data point by itself, but I'll use that to calibrate with the other data points where I think I can go formulate my race plan and then and then marry that with making sure I'm feeling right at those paces on race day. Speaking of race day, before we continue that conversation with James, I want to quickly talk about my partnership with John G running apparel on race day. I will no doubt be wearing their trail half tights, which has been my short of choice in this Houston marathon build. And I'd like you to go check out their gear as well. So let me tell you a little bit about John G. They are a running apparel company that makes functional, but also beautiful running apparel that is inspired by artists and cultures all over the world. They also give back 2% of all revenue to water projects all around the world. So when you buy with them, you not only get great stuff, but you also are helping others. And so I want you to go to their website, check out all of their stuff. They got a bunch of great winter gear now, particularly like their Merino pieces. Go check it out. You can use my code R-O-G-U-E-1-5, Rogue15, for 15% off your first order, your second order, any order you might want to put together you can save 15% off. So again, that's Rogue15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5 at johng.com or runjohng.com. Go check their stuff out. It is amazing. I'm glad you brought that one up because I was actually thinking um, of asking it before that, but um, if you've tested some of these paces in long runs, and I don't know if you want to share specific details of the long runs themselves or just generally of like, have you done some, I imagine you've had a, few long run workouts that are building to this big one? Yeah, we've had, I think I've had three so far. I've done five 20 plus milers and I've got three more to go. So I'll have eight of those total. I've done pace work in three of them so far. One of them was just more of a progression than anything where I, didn't get to marathon pace till the end. And then the next one was another progression that was supposed to be longer sustained paces at marathon or longer sustained segments at marathon with a faster finish. But it was a day that ended up being, you know, 70 plus degrees was really hot. I actually executed that workout without looking at my watch. And I ran 6.30s or so on that day with really miserable weather and felt pretty good about it. I just went by effort. 
And if you, you know, extrapolate weather, then that's a, that was actually a pretty good day. And then I had one recently where we did two times five miles at marathon pace with some faster segments at 10 K pace just after. And that one I did by effort was hitting around six twenties on that day. Also a little warm, warmer than ideal on that day. So, you know, it's, there's been nothing that would point to, you know, specifically to this point to me being able to run a PR on race day, but I'm not ruling it out. (laughs) So it's so interesting. I love the state that you're in and I'm just still curious about the, how you get comfortable there. Like you're, you're the guy that, um, is so big on like helping people understand their why and even tactically helping them get to that why. So like, what's your why, even with the uncertainty of a very specific goal, you know, like, uh, I'm sorry, you have a specific goal, but like the time still seems to be in flux. So how do you get your mind around that? Why? And that motive that makes you say, yep, and the why for it. this race is to run my potential in a day and to give everything I have towards that. And that's always been my focus since I put Houston on the calendar was I knew that I wouldn't necessarily be exactly to the end goal, you know, but I would see how it came together and, and take, you know, my best shot at my fitness on that day. And so that's the way I think about it. And I actually have great peace even now thinking about it because I don't feel pressure related to the time for this one, at least maybe I will in a future race. I don't know. I just want to do everything I can leading up to it. And I have, I mean, I have dotted every, I crossed every T. I mean, I am on it. And I have been since September, you know, with the exception of, I think a couple of days where I was feeling sick, right. Where I had to make modifications, but you know, and, and, and when Larry passed, I missed a workout, but I still got runs in that week. Anyway, I've done everything I could. And and that's all I ever wanted was do everything I could, get to race day, race as hard as I could, knowing that whatever the outcome was, I'd be proud of it. And that is all I want. Ultimately, for this one, ultimately, I want that goal to 40 for sure. But it has to come when I'm ready. Right? And I know that if I try to skip steps to get there, that won't work. So I'm not doing that. And after Houston, I'll be able to sit back and say, all right, where did I get to? How far did I make it in this journey? And now let's plan the next 12 months to two years and figure out what are the next components I need to work in. And I actually don't think really it's that much different than what I've been doing. It's just more of the same and continuing to consolidate the gains of this kind of reconstructed version of me that, you know, I'm still learning, right. I'm still pulling it all together. And so, so that's kind of where I'm at with it, which I think is, you know, people I think are a little bit shocked when I like, what do you think you're going to run in Houston? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I think if you had to pin me down, I think best case I will get a PR by some amount and worst case, maybe shoot for something in the low two fifties. 
and somewhere in between might be the outcome. I don't know. But I do know that by the time I get to race day, I'll have a really good sense for what I'm shooting for with these final data points coming in. And then I'm going to take my best swing. Again, I love the uh, outlook and the mindset. So between today and when you race, you're going through the hardest time of the year when it comes to like having a sense of normalcy. But it's actually, this is probably going to be a better teaching tool than what we quote could come up with our bullet points of what to prescribe of how to manage the holidays through, you know, and that, that's still probably a worthwhile podcast, but what's your game plan? How are you going to make it through friends, uh, holiday parties, your own internal family, new year, uh, just all kinds of things going on. So how do you keep, how, how are you planning? Do you have a written down strategy for managing it? <laughs> it's not written down, but, um, but yeah, there's going to be some things that are crazy and some things that are easier for me, right? The kids, Soccer schedule is a little less intense this time of year because they're out of their core season. They still play like a little winter league, but I'm not having to travel anywhere for soccer or, you know, we're not having to go watch nine games on a weekend or whatever that may be. But yeah, there's other challenges, holiday travel. I'll be traveling next weekend. Amy and I will be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary on a little trip, anniversary. which is pretty cool. Big milestone. Certainly couldn't be here without her. So shout out to my lovely wife. The The answer for me is simply, you know, I know what the key elements are right now. And the beauty of being late in a marathon cycle is that I think those key elements shrink, right? There aren't many of them. Yeah, you got to run in. You got to get your runs in, your volume in. Total volume, honestly, at this stage in marathon training is less important than it would have been a month ago. But long runs, critical, key workouts, which for me is one a week, critical. And everything else has flexibility. I need to get runs in. I need to keep the routine as much as possible. But I don't necessarily have to do certain volume levels. I will, but I have some flexibility. And so it's, so for example, you know, with the travel next weekend, I'm going to be gone Thursday to Sunday on that trip with my wife. I'm probably going to be doing my long run on Monday when I get back and then moving my speed work that would work out that would normally be on Tuesday to later in the week. And then, you know, staggering things around that so that it all fits together to make sure that those key variables, those key pieces get done with space to get them done properly. And then everything else fills in around it. And so that's where I'm at. I'm also going on a rogue expeditions trip to Baja over New Year's, which means fun times with friends, casual days, focused on the miles that I need to get on those days, on planned runs that I don't have to plan with support. And, you know, it's the the secret sauce to having a magical taper that many have used, but I will definitely be taking advantage of myself. So I think that'll help because I'll have space and no kids. Thanks. Shout out to my parents. I'll be watching my kids during that trip from the end of December to early January. And, you know, and then when I get back, it'll be 10 days to the race. So, you know, it's not without some forethought and having to move things around a little bit, but I actually find this time of year 
little bit easier to work around. And again, if you know the key pieces, the key variables you have to get done, you have flexibility there. And so I'm just going to shift things as I need to, to get it all done. All this time, I've been wondering how you stay cool, calm, and collected through uh, a phase of uncertainty, yet high intention and building. And now I know it's the Rogue Expedition's magic. You're, you're hanging your hat on that magic. There is a thing to that. People do do well after their uh, expedition trip. It's a real thing. Plus, you know, Allison will be on that trip. She's a good running partner <laughs> any time during marathon training for me. She's been back in Austin the last several weeks as well, which it's probably no coincidence that I've had some good workouts because I've had a few with her. Um, the last things that are coming to mind are just kind of curious. You know, we had some of our athletes in the Renegades ask you this too, but any, any like um, strategic changes to any way of fueling or kind of those more like 1% uh, that you're approaching, like shoe changes or anything like that? Like what's uh, some of those more just – less about training and more about like technical aspects. What are you doing? Anything like that or. Yeah. I mean, from that perspective, not changing a lot, you know, I feel like for me, I've dialed in my marathon fueling a long time ago using you can as my primary tool. I am actually switching or experimenting potentially with switching the mode at which I take in my, you can usually I'd, I would do the powder drink, but I'm experimenting with the gels that they have now, the edge gels, the, you can edge gels which are essentially the same product in a different form that I find potentially easier and more palatable to take in. So potentially migrating from UCAN powder to UCAN gels, but trying not to change a lot there because I feel like that part of the equation, nutrition, hydration on race day, I have had pretty dialed in for a while. I've run 20 marathons. I've only bonked in one and that was Boston in 2006, I believe my first Boston noon start completely mismanaged my, my morning in terms of fueling and ended up, you know, at two 30 in the afternoon, very underprepared for the fuel I needed. And it wasn't about having the right plan. It was just not accounting for the shift in the day that, that, that caused. And so anyway, I've learned things about that too since, but I've never had an issue with fueling and you can has been great for me since I first started using it, I believe in 2013 or 2014. So I'm sticking with that. It's a tried and true method. And there may be opportunity to experiment with that down the road, but I'm not at a place yet where I'm ready to change that while also changing these other, other variables. So I'm sticking with the plan there. And mostly at this point, just trying to do the things that I know well that have worked for me in the past. So not a lot of crazy experimentation on the margins. I feel like I've done all the risk taking that I've needed in terms of this approach here with this two year journey. So deconstruct and then reconstruct unless it's already serving you extremely well. <laughs> and then those exactly. aspects you hold. Exactly. Um, uh, well, I'm just curious. Uh, I want to turn the driver's seat back to you. Are there anything that athletes that have like DM'd you to ask what's going on or anything you thought I'd ask that I didn't? Let's see. I, I think one thing that I've been reflecting on and I've talked to a few people about that have asked this question is, you know, how, how am I dealing with the uncertainty in front of me? 
and it, you know, you've kind of asked it this way, but it's like it, this analogy has come to me this week that I've sort of been thinking about, which I think is appropriate. And it's kind of helping me, you know, process these final weeks of uncertainty as I step into it, still not knowing what my specific goal will be, is that I feel like I have a puzzle in front of me and I've been building, you know, to complete this puzzle, one picture for a while. And, you know, for most, and and let's say it's a landscape, right? And so you have trees and water and sky and flowers and, you know, different colors represented. And so for the most part, when you're building the puzzle, you know, you start with the edges, you know, you get your edges done and, you know, and then you find similar color patterns or things that are identifiable as together and grouping together and you put them together and you start to connect them to the edge pieces that they seem to connect to. And so you're going through the puzzle that way, kind of going from section to section, or at least as the way I do it of, you know, identifiable pieces that you can sort from the pile, identify that they're supposed to be together. Right. And once you have them together, then you start to figure out how they fit together in, in, a cohesive unit to complete that section of the puzzle. And you've kind of been hopscotching around the puzzle in that way. And, and that's the way I do it. And now I'm at a place where I have an almost complete puzzle, but I've got two sections of it that have similar colors, maybe similar textures, leaves, and maybe some sky behind, but they're on opposite sides of the puzzle. But if you look at the pieces, you're like, it's hard to sort, you know, between are they here or there, right? And so you're at this place where you're kind of working the nuance to be like, well, I think that's a different say, shade of blue. So I think that fits over here versus there. And you started getting to the finer points of sorting those pieces so that you can finish the puzzle. And I kind of feel like that's where I'm at. I'm in the, you know, the final sections that are kind of looking similar where it's a lot about nuance and, you know, but all the pieces are in front of me and I know that they're going to come together. And I don't know exactly how they're going to come together or I can't tell you every single piece that goes in which section at this point, but I'm starting to see the nuance of how they do. And I just know that the puzzle is going to be done, right? And that it's going to take some time to kind of sort through these final nuances, but it's going to get done. And that's where I'm at with this journey, right? Is the puzzles coming together? We're close, you know, but we're sorting through the final nuances And when it comes together, you know, given the time that I have, I'll know where I'm at and then we'll, we'll go showcase it. And, you know, I've thought about, well, what if, you know, what if you run, what if I ran 251? Would that be a failure? Six minutes off my PR, nowhere near 240. Would that be a failure? No. Because it would, because of all the work that I've done, the time that I get on January 14th does not indicate success or failure. The work that I've done to build a different body, to prepare myself for the work to come, that's where all the success or failure lies. And if I run 251 or 249 or 244, it's still a success no matter what. And I believe even more now than I did when I started that the steps I'm taking are the right ones. And I don't need any specific outcome from Houston to, to hang my hat on that, to believe in it. And that feels pretty good. And so 
the encouragement I want for people <laughs> in talking about that is that times on race day, certainly they matter, right? They matter at some level, but so does the work. So does the skills you build along the way. So does the journey that you're having. The other thing, by the way, is I'm loving the process. I didn't know if I would enjoy marathoning again, marathon training again. I'm loving it, man. I'm, I love 20 milers. I'm, I just love them. And so it's, it's gotten me, like it's lit a fire under me too that makes me want to go do more. And so, you know, to finish that day, regardless of the time, knowing that I'm, I've, I've built the pieces, I've got more pieces maybe to assemble, but I'm excited, I'm fired up, I believe in what I'm doing, and I've got more to come. I mean, what more could I ask for, right? Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great articulation of like faith. Like in some ways it serves as a metaphor to actual faith but also just like, uh, meaning like religious sense, but also just, I mean, with like faith in, you know, your program, your coach, what you're doing, elements coming together, um, being able to trust all that. I, I get uh, this question a lot from athletes and I imagine you do too in the later stages. They're sort of like, okay, I see it, especially if they're on the newer end. They're like, I saw all these workouts and they all, they know all these technical details. They're like, I ran my miles. I did my workouts in order. It's all building, but how do I know on that day I can run that pace for this long? Cause I've never really done 26 or whatever. And it's like, at, I, I tell them it's my job to create spreadsheets. So you see all this linear equation of sequentially ordered workouts in math. But at the end of the day, all along, we were preparing you, we were changing your body. We were getting you ready for the elements that the event demands and will like bring upon you. And so there's just this like, Whoop. at some point the logic can take you all the way up to this tiny little gap that you just have to step over and that's that that stepping over piece is the faith part it's like uh did i do all the things i knew to do that was the logic that brought you up to the line and then you just have to if you've ever read um i'm gonna it was just a metaphor but i'm gonna tie it in now but c.s lewis um in his autobiography talks about that like he was an atheist and a professor and he's walking along and eventually like there's all this logic in his storyline but eventually he just hears church bell ringing one day and then boom that that was it like it it was just there's this step over point and not trying to turn this into religion but it served (laughs) as a good metaphor for kind of like having faith in all the stuff yeah there's always a leap of faith at the end and my journey will be no different now i can't hang my hat on a lot of experience makes me makes it a little easier to make that leap maybe than than others but but still a leap and we're gonna see we're five weeks away we'll see where we get to and then we'll go from there but i hope that people can learn from this from me and from this journey and that would be a bonus i'm certain they will there's only so much that can be taught in like curriculum format and then there's other moments where it's like they see a story come together and it's like okay cool i see exactly what he's thinking about day to day week to week in his actual training five weeks out from his race also thanks for sharing at this time because i know it can be vulnerable because we have head spaces too where it's sort of like you probably want to just stay in the zone and <laughs> tune out the world yeah back to the zone <laughs> well thanks james for talking me through it that was fun. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. And we will see. 
All right, we'll wrap this episode here. Thanks for coming along on my journey. I hope my journey helps inspire you in some way or helps teach you a way to manage your training in a better way that might get you towards your goals. All eyes for me now on Houston. Thanks to James for helping me out. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.